Welcome to the Temple of Geek podcast. For those of you tuning in for the first time, my name is Monica and I will be your host today as we discuss the docu-series, A Toy Store Near You. The Temple of Geek podcast has been around since 2012 and is hosted by a variety of geeky people from the Temple of Geek team. Here we discuss and celebrate fandoms and all things geek. And to our returning listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate you very much. With me today is our special guest, the creator of A Toy Store Near You, Brian Volkweiss. He is with us today to talk about um, A Toy Store Near You, which will feature stores that are still operating under legal guidelines during the health crisis. Um, The show is a docuseries filmed and released during the COVID-19 pandemic, and it takes viewers inside independent toy stores across the country and the world. Starting on May 29th, it'll be available on Amazon Prime and YouTube. So A Toy Store Near You is a show, it's a series uh, that we started producing, I guess, close to two months ago uh, in late March that was uh, inspired by uh, my local toy store near my office in Burbank. Uh, I was talking to the owner, a guy named Kyle, and he was telling me that if there was a quarantine, and when he and I were talking, it was an if, about three days later, it became a when. Uh, I mean, he basically told me, and again, I feel stupid that he needed to explain this to me, but he basically said, he's like, listen, You know, if there's a quarantine, our sales are going to go down by 60 to 70 percent, but our rent isn't going to go down. Our electricity costs aren't going to go down. So that was the original inspiration. Then that night, and this is like the weirdest thing ever, because my wife has never done this before or since. I went into the bedroom and she was watching this show. It was like a Japanese chef in Japan. I don't even know if he was a chef, but he was making like some very fancy noodles. And I was just watching this show. It was on YouTube, but my wife was watching it on our TV. And I'm like, and that that show, by the way, was like one camera looking at this guy making noodles. And I'm just watching it. And I'm like, I own a production company. I own a distribution company. Why couldn't we just do a show If the owners of the toy stores shot the video themselves during the quarantine and sent us the footage, why couldn't we do a show that would raise money for them and also give them exposure so maybe more people would buy for them online? And that that really was our my inspiration. And that was my whole goal uh, was to help raise money for the stores and also give them exposure to, to also help make more money. And uh, we put out a press release. Uh, it looks like we're doing 50 episodes. Yeah, uh, that's what I saw. That's a huge yeah. undertaking. I, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how things come about. And uh, the first episode, which is Billy Galaxy up in Portland, Oregon, uh, is premiering on May uh, 29th uh, on Amazon Prime and YouTube. And then it's going to be a lot of other places after that, like Roku, Tubi, Pluto, all these other places too. So, and you know, all of them are going to generate money and exposure. And uh, we're pretty much given almost all of the profit back to the stores. 
And we got some great sponsors too. You know, eBay is a sponsor. Super 7 is a sponsor. So now I'm like not even answering your question anymore. So I'm sorry. No, you, you just really. went into like another question I had, which is great. I was wondering if this was because you do the toys that made us and the movies that made us. And it's almost along the same line. So I was wondering, had was this like an idea that had been brewing before or was it inspired by, you know, what's happening to these toy stores right now? Well, it's really funny. It, it, in many ways, it's the opposite of was it an idea that I had before. Because for years after Toys That Made Us came out, people kept telling me, oh, dude, you got to do a show about toy stores. You got to do a show about toy stores. And I'm like, no, no, that's really boring. I, like, <laughs> I, I have like these rules in my head that I use as a director. And one of those rules is, you got to be very careful that things that seem exciting in real life and interesting in real life, they may not be interesting on a TV set in someone's bedroom or living room. So if you'll notice with toys that made us, and I get a lot of grief for this, by the way, but I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that I'm happy. I'm happy with what I did. Maybe it was stupid, but um, there's no collections. I didn't cover collections. I didn't cover collectors because, again, if you go into somebody's toy room, that's interesting and exciting. Showing that on television in a bedroom where people have phones and they're checking Instagram and they're going off to, you know, whatever, see why their kids are yelling, that's boring. And that's how I felt about toy stores. I'm like, no one cares. It's like, by the way, it's the same story over and over again where basically the owner of the store like gets his toys from either divorces or deaths or random people finding stuff in a garage. And it's like, that might be interesting for like a two hour documentary or something, but I was not interested in it at all, at all. And every time I've done like personal appearances and talked to fans, it always comes up and like half the audience agrees with me and half the audience wants to like throw stuff at me. But that's my opinion. And, you know, I could be right. I could be wrong. But at the very least, it's my opinion. So to your question, the thing that changed everything was COVID. Because no longer was it a store just selling toys. It was a store, which you can break down even more because it's not just a store anymore. You can look at it. It's not a store anymore that's just selling toys. It's an independent, essentially family business. And you could, you could own a flower store. You could be a mechanic who owns a garage. You might not sell toys, but everybody can relate to either being a mom and pop or working for a mom and pop back in college, whatever. So that's what I thought was very interesting was because you were seeing these, these independent little stores fighting for survival. And it wasn't just about the owners. It was also about the employees, and to a certain extent, it's also about the cities. But the main thing I'm trying to tell you is, it's not a store, it's not a show just about toy stores. And that's why we decided to do it, because I figured out a way to, at least to me at least, in my very biased opinion, make it interesting. 
you made it very interesting. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I was lucky enough to see the Billy Galaxy episode, and I was so struck by the stories of the staff and their personal journeys, you know, what they're struggling with, um, you know, during these like really rough times where everybody's becoming unemployed and then the owner is just trying to help out, but they're struggling too. And it's like you said, it's something that everybody can relate to, whether they're like a mechanic or a toy, you know, enthusiast. And so that was really powerful. And I think you were right on on that. Is you're telling the story in a very beautiful way. It's about the people who just happen to work in a toy store. That's what we set out to do. And I, it makes me so, I mean, you're one of the first people I've talked to who's seen it that I don't work with. So uh, it's very nice to hear what you're saying. I appreciate it. One thing that I really um, felt and noticed was that also with uh, the toys and the movies that made us, but with this now, a lot of it also feels to me like preservation work. It's like you're preserving a piece of history as much as you're creating entertainment. Do you ever feel like you're a historian? Does your team ever feel like you guys are out there like, you know, digging through the archaeological finds of like the toy industry that like we grew up with? Well, I am an amateur historian of American history, and I absolutely, starting with toys that made us, um, you know, history in Hollywood is a dirty word, very dirty word. You never, you never want to say the word history in pitch meetings or anything. So what I always say is, and I'm actually stealing this uh, from a comedian who said it once, and I, I'm stealing it from him. I, I always want to give the guy credit, but then I feel sound like I'm name dropping and I'm an asshole. So <laughs> I leave his name out. Um, but he, um, he said to me, and this is what he said about history for, as it relates to Hollywood, you always want to wrap your spinach in ice cream. And that's what I really tried to do with toys that made us. Um, and that's what we're trying to do with, um, with a toy store near you as well. Um, because people don't like history. Like, for the most part, like, I mean, almost everybody loves a human story. Almost everybody loves a human drama or a human comedy. But then when they hear the word history, like my wife, for example, if you interview my wife, she will tell you she hates history. She's bored by history. I, I don't like history. She makes fun of me for watching history. Do you know what my wife's favorite show is right now? What? That, that Viking thing on Netflix, <laughs> the founding of England. I mean, that is, as what is it called? Uh, I forget, I forget. Yeah. But that's a history lesson. Absolutely. But the history is wrapped by a good looking male lead with a good looking female lead, kind of like, you know, living their life as British history unfolds around them. That's so, an excellent point because I hated colonial history in college, but I'm a huge fan of the Hamilton musical and exactly. you know, that's history. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. So that's yes. So what I do is with all of these shows, we get what I like to call the spinal column of the episode, which is the history. And then we build the, and this is by the way, I mean, we do this for movies that made us as well where it starts off as this very dry, boring show for everybody but me. I would love that show. Then we wrap it with the humor, 
we wrap it with the pathos and we just make it so that people that may have woken up in the morning saying, oh my God, the last thing I want to do today is watch a documentary about dirty dancing. But then they watch it and they love it. So that's, that's what we try to do. And yes, so there's definitely history. And you're absolutely right as it relates to a toy store near you. And I view it kind of as a core sample of our society because anyone who watches this show, you know, five years from now, 20 years from now, will be able to see, yes, it's focused on a toy store, but you'll be able to get a glimpse. You know, the third episode is in Leicester, England. Like, you'll be able to see what was Leicester dealing with during COVID. Right, absolutely. Which is like, I can absolutely imagine this being, you know, shared at schools in 20, 30 years and people looking back like this is what people dealt with. It's the first time that we have that kind of thing in our history because we've never been able to document it in this way. So it to me, it does feel like you're doing like this very important work about, you know, not only helping people right now with the exposure and going out there and, you know, saying, hey, help these stores, they need help and giving them basically essentially free advertising, which is great. Um, but you're also documenting something that somebody might be studying later on to avoid these kind of collapses later. If that happened, I mean, literally, that'll be when I pack it up and retire as if I'm in a classroom and they're using anything I've made to teach people. Like, that'll be like, you know what? I'll never beat this. I got to retire. Well, I think you're doing important work and I'm very excited to have you on and talk to you because especially like some of these stores may not survive the quarantine. Absolutely. That's 100 percent true. And, you know, you know, we've seen plenty of like news coverage about restaurants and other companies filing for bankruptcy and things like that. Um, so this is an amazing way to help shops. What are other ways that you've seen uh, people helping out in the community as far as like toy stores and things like that? You know, as you saw in the first episode, and we have this in a lot of episodes, um, the toy stores, and, and again, I mean, they're just doing this. Like I'm not producing them to do this. Like they, here, here's these toy stores, you know, knocked down for the count, 60 to 70% of their business gone in one day and they're like reaching out trying to cheer other people up so like you know in the second episode which is at 1313 mockingbird which is in lawrence kansas um like one of their customers is like going through this horrible custody battle with his ex-wife and like he's like you know trying to give toys and he also lost his job by the way so he's trying to like cheer up his son uh while uh you know Get by giving them toys that he grew up with in the middle of this like horrible pandemic. So the stores are helping with that. Like, you know, you think the stores would be like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my rent next month. You're on your own. But they're not doing that. As you saw with Billy Galaxy, he's hooking up, you know, uh, a nurse that's also in the Air Force. You know, in 1313, you're also seeing this guy, these owners, um, actually the husband-wife owners, uh, helping out this guy who's going through a custody battle in the most effed up thing going on probably since Pearl Harbor. So that's what's blown me away. And the other thing I would also say about um, toy store owners, 
and I know we're not supposed to stereotype in life anymore, but every now and then you can start to see patterns with people. Like every toy store owner I know to some degree is a kind soul, but they're also tough. Like no matter what business you're in, you have to be tough to be an independent company. Some of these toy stores have one employee. Some of them have four or five, but I'm not aware of any of these that we're working with except for Super 7 that has more than probably five or six employees. I don't even think any have seven. So there are these very kind of tough people who have been through a lot of stuff while keeping their store open for decades in some cases, but they're also very kind, empathetic people. I have not met a single toy store owner who's anything but kind and a good person. That is so amazing to hear. And I, I see a correlation too with like comic book store owners where I have come across the same thing where they're just very kind people. And I don't know if it's the enthusiasm of whatever their fandom is or just their general like excitement and passion. But it, I think you're right. It does draw like a certain type of personality to it. I, I think so. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> I think you know a lot more than you're giving yourself credit for. <laughs> and like, so this is all, like you said, self-filmed. What kind of yeah. challenges did you guys experience? Um, well, I, I'm going to tell you something. Like, like we, 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 we kind of had none. Like we told 50 different stores to use their cameras. We sent them an email with like a bunch of stuff to make sure this was set to that and that was set to this and all this stuff. And I'm not aware of a single store uh, sending us footage we couldn't use. Um, I mean, we, yeah, in fact, to be completely honest with you, and and this is not me trying to be humble or funny, it's actually completely true. The only person who effed up and had to reshoot their stuff was me. Like I shot it, you know, in my toy room and, and sent it, you know, to my head of post. And she was like, uh well, this is awesome if you want to be upside down, but I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm not aware of anyone else messing it up. That's really great. That's awesome. And um, it's coming in every day. I mean, literally every day, uh, the editors post, they open up Dropbox and they see what came in and then they just keep working. That's, that is amazing. It's, it's really cool and refreshing to hear. Yeah, I mean, I... Listen, I had an idea and everybody in life has ideas. You you never, there's a great saying I heard once. It's like a military thing, I think. And it's like, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And like, this is one of those things where it's like, who knew, you know, who knew, who knew if this would work at all? And there were so many things that could go, by the way, the other thing I should mention, when we started this, we were in the midst of our own evacuation. So like, I mean, we were literally, you know, our headquarters is in uh, Burbank and, um, you know, between I started evacuating our building, uh, I sent an email out February 29th um, and like we greenlit the show when I'd say half the company was still not in their homes yet. And, you know, it wasn't just the, uh, you know, it wasn't just the people. You know, we had to evacuate all the equipment as well and move it into people's homes and apartments. So like right now, my company that was used, you know, for the last 20 years or whatever has been under one roof. 
you know, we're now in like three dozen homes spread out over 75 mile radius. And that's literally how the store is being made, how the show is being made. Like the footage comes in on Dropbox, the editor edits it in his or her uh, apartment or house. Then a messenger comes by, picks up a hard drive, takes it to our color and sound uh, mixers. And like, that's literally how the show is being made. And then once that's all done, we then upload it to a cloud that sends it to Amazon and YouTube and everything else. And by the way, just like with Toys That Made Us and all the other shows we do, you know, all of this stuff has to get sent to lawyers. So like, we have to upload the footage to law firms that watch the footage and tell us what we can and cannot use. And then that whole process goes back and forth, you know, until it's cool. So all of this used to be done in one building uh, and it is now being done like all over uh, Southern California. I mean, it's, I'm directly involved with this. I still cannot, like, I'm telling you something, I know it to be true, but I feel like I'm lying to you. Like, that's how crazy it is to me. That is insanely impressive that so many people, I mean, I, I guess that's a testament to your company as well, that like, you know, everything in the middle of just like all this chaos, everything is running as smoothly as it is. And you're putting out, you know, this amazing content so quickly and in a very beautiful way. That first episode with Billy Galaxy is really great. So that's just really amazing. Very impressive. Yeah, I love that you like it, obviously. Um, was there, I guess, anything... Um, I guess, uh, so this is going to, because of the way that everything's shaped out, episodes are not going to be put out regularly. You have like a weird pattern. What is that looking like? I love that you said weird pattern. That is dead <laughs> on, completely, like everyone's always trying to be diplomatic about it, but no, it's a weird pattern. I mean, that is exactly the right way to describe it. Uh, so basically what I did for better or worse, I, you, we won't know till it's over if this was a good idea or a bad idea. Um, because the goal is to make money and exposure for the stores, I decided to prioritize speed uh, over a traditional pattern. So if I waited to even have six episodes done, I don't even think the show would be out in August. So I made the decision, you know what, we're going to put them out whenever they're ready. And then so be it. If people hate it, if I destroyed the show, I don't think I did. I don't no, think it, I don't think so. you never know. But you know, we have a big social media following. And, you know, the other thing that we're trying to do that it seems like is working is, you know, we have 50 stores and we're trying to really use them as a constituency for each other. So when Billy Galaxy's episode comes out, those other 49 stores will be supporting Billy. Then when 1313 Mockingbird comes out, then the other 49 stores will be supporting that store. So hopefully between our own, you know, I think we have about 350,000 followers, all geeks, by the way. So it's not like random people that wouldn't be into a show about toy stores. So we have about 350,000. I think all 50 toy stores have about another uh, almost 500,000. So if we use that effectively, even though we have a weird release pattern or whatever you call it, um, then hopefully, uh, and I hope I didn't sound like I was offended. I loved what you called it. <laughs> um, hopefully, p 
people will watch it whenever it's ready and understand why the release pattern is so strange. No, it's awesome. That's a really great idea. And like you said, it's more important to make sure that these stores are supported than it is to have like, you know, some type of uniform release date. Yeah. I mean, you want them support, you, you want to help people when they need the help, you know, it's, it's, you need to, you need to be there for people when it counts. And that's what I've always believed. A, B, at the very least, for better or worse, that's what we're trying to do here. Well, I think you're doing an amazing job. Before I let you go, I have one last kind of a for fun question. It's a little bit of a uh, kind of two-part question. What is your favorite toy store, if you have one? And also, do you have a favorite toy or collectible? So, I, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was a kid, I saw Ronald Reagan doing a, a press conference. One of my earliest memories, believe it or not. And I remember it was around Christmas time and he was being asked, what do you want for Christmas? And Reagan said, uh, because I, I, I figured it out when I was older, Reagan was like, he, he knew whatever he said, he would get millions of them sent to him. So if he said, I love dogs, people would send him a thousand dogs. So he goes, he goes, for Christmas, all I want is peace on earth. And then I remembered a reporter goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let, if it could fit in a bread box, what would you want for Christmas? And he goes, well, if they could put peace on earth in a bread box, that's what I would like for Christmas. And I remember watching it and I said to myself, like, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to answer every question. Honestly, I'm not going to give any BS answer. But the problem is you've just asked, asked me a question. I don't have a favorite store. I may have a favorite five stores, but like, I'll give you a great example. Like in walking distance near my office is Blast from the Past, Black Cat Collectibles, uh, and then a couple other stores that are like less than a five minute drive away. To me, and again, I don't wanna be like Ronald Reagan saying bull, bull, BS, but to me, the perfect toy shopping experience if I ever, every now and then, about once a month, I can do this to hit all four stores over my lunch break. That's because the, the reason you can't really have a favorite store is sometimes they got stuff you want. Sometimes they don't like blast from the past. There are times I've gone in there six times in a row, didn't buy anything. Then the seventh time I've bought, you know, 800 bucks worth of stuff. Like, so you, I, I at least don't have a favorite store. So that's, that's, so I hope it doesn't sound like I'm dodging your question. I don't. No, that's totally fair. I think I would answer exactly the same. We have a very, we don't have enough toy stores in our community. Where are you? We are in the Inland Empire. So about 60 miles east of Burbank. I'm I'm familiar with the Inland Empire. Yeah, so uh, we're out there. And we unfortunately, most of the toy stores, the independently owned ones and comic book shops have closed down. And so like on free comic book day, we make an effort to hit as many of those as we can in one day because it's just, for us, it's more of a community thing. No, I'm sure. Believe me, uh, you're preaching to the choir. And then my favorite toy, and I'm literally sitting in my toy room right now. That's my home office during this COVID adventure. Nice. Um, 
you know, I, I don't really have a favorite toy. And I'll tell you, um, two years ago, I had to evacuate my home because of the fires. And it was really interesting because the stuff that I grabbed was borderline worthless dollar wise. Uh, there is stuff here. Like I have one thing in this room that's worth more than everything else in the room combined times 50. And I forgot to take that. So, you know, if, if I could only take one thing, I'm looking at it right now. It would probably be my R2-D2 from when I was a little kid. And right next to it, if you would permit me to take two things, uh, I have my original uh, dinky uh, Constitution class Enterprise from uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Like the, the impulse engine I hand painted when I was like, you know, 11. So don't, if I could only take two things, that's what it would be. And if I could only take one thing, I think it would have to be the R2-D2. That is fair enough. Absolutely fair. That's really cool. I hope you didn't think I dodged your questions. No, I think that is an amazing answer to that question. And, you know, it kind of gives more insight into like, you know, shows like the toys that made us like these things from our childhood. The, the reason these shows resonate so much is because they're a connection to our childhood to when we were younger. So that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I'm very biased, but I, I agree. <laughs> awesome. Well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. And I just cannot wait to see more of the episodes. And we hope that our, on our end, we can help these toy stores promote them as well as the episodes come out. Well, I thank you because I never take it for granted. Anybody cares what we're doing. So the fact that you do, uh, I'm very humbled and very appreciative of that. That is going to wrap up this episode of the Temple of Geek podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter using the handle Temple of Geek. If you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows, why don't you head over to templeofgeek.com. There you will find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Thank you to our guests, Brian Boltwise, for joining us on this episode. My name is Monica, and we will see you next time. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit TempleofGeek.com, your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.